Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Hello and welcome to Business Fights Poverty Spotlight Interviews. I am Katie Heisen, Director of Thought Leadership. Each week, these interviews provide you with the insights from a different perspective of Business Fight Poverty Network, giving you first-hand understanding of how businesses and others are working on some of the world's biggest social challenges. What does fair trade really mean in practice? And why could it help in tackling climate change? Could investing properly in the producers and growers within supply chains create the resilience and capacity required to fight our globe's biggest challenge? My guests today know a lot about this. Meet Emily Pierce of the Co-op and Kubasu Agapitas of Fair Trade Africa. Today, together, they are going to talk about their new partnership, supporting farmers' climate mitigation adaptation, which is called the Future of Programmes. Fair Trade Africa is the independent non-profit umbrella organisation representing all fair trade certified producers in Africa, which currently tallies to over a million. Whilst the co-op is one of the world's largest consumer cooperatives owned by millions of members, they are the UK's fifth biggest retailer in food, And a little background on Emily and Kubasu. Emily is the Senior Sustainable Sourcing and International Development Manager in the Co-op's Ethical and Sustainability Policy Team. She leads Co-op's industry-leading fair trade strategy, sustainable sourcing and international development commitments under the Co-op's 2030 Future of Food Sustainability Ambition. Whilst Kubasu is the Regional Expert in Private Sector Development at Fair Trade Africa. For over a decade, he has been working to connect business, agriculture and societal impact across the continent. He is an expert in designing and implementing programmes that increase viability, sustainability and ownership within agriculture. Emily and Kubasu are together going to talk about resilience in food production, resilience to ensure, for example, food keeps on being grown and produced for all of us to eat during tough times like global pandemics and with the onslaught of climate change particularly coming into view. So Emily Kubasu, welcome. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Oh, it's great to have you both here. And I wanted to dive into our conversation today. So the Co-op and Fair Trade Africa are reimagining the future of farming. What does this actually mean in practice? Kubasu, perhaps you wouldn't mind taking this one first. Yeah, thank you so much, Katie. These are quite uh, interesting partnership and looking at it, it's unlike any other partnership that has ever happened within the fair trade system, such that um, the management is really based in Africa. And this means that uh, the resources that have uh, been allocated towards this partnership are being driven uh, by producers and Produce, I mean, um, farmers and, and workers in different supply chains, coffee, tea, and flowers. And that um, the partnership looks and puts uh, farmers and workers at the forefront, whereby the power is in their hand and they are being involved in the management of the partnership and also managing the program such that the impact generated is for their own benefit. And also the most interesting thing about it is um, the place of the young people, such that uh, young people also involved in this kind of partnership through Fair Africa 
such that um, young people are determining their own activities, uh, they're establishing centers of learning, of sharing best practice on climate change. So in short, young people are driving climate change and young people are also looking at issues of environmental sustainability and also looking at uh, what benefits can producer and, and workers get as far as building their farm productivity, production as well, involvement in income diversification and reduction of carbon emission. And this uh, generally in terms of partnership, it goes along in building the strategy of Fair Trade Africa on climate change, as well as COP UK to ensure that we manage climate crisis and that produce organizations our farmers and workers are supported to invest in climate change adaptation and mitigation. Wow, follow that, Emily. I was wondering whether from your perspective, as Kubasu just mentioned, you guys from a sort of UK perspective, what, what does this mean for you guys? If I can speak to co-op's ambition, we've been pioneering fair trade for over 26 years since the foundation of, of fair trade. And Our goal is really to be the UK's biggest supporter of fair trade, making it easier for our customers, members and colleagues to choose fair trade and to support the fair trade movement. And we've been really privileged. It's the absolute greatest privilege of my role that I've had the opportunity to meet fair trade producers all around the world. I've been out to Ghana, to Belize and and other places. And every producer I've met has said that climate change is their primary concern impacting livelihoods and communities now. It's such a luxury that, you know, in the West, climate crisis can be seen as something as an academic or an intellectual issue. But we know from speaking to farmers that it's a pressing priority that's affecting us now. And we all need to begin to respond with some urgency. So it's really, really important that we as a as a retailer respond. And that's why Fair trade has been such an important part of our proposition because we're well aware that farmers, growers, and workers have the least power within the food system and are most vulnerable to drops in the market. And it's a real sad fact that many of the people who grow ingredients used in consumer products live in poverty. We're so passionate about fair trade because it's a unique proposition, thanks to the fair trade standards, the minimum price, the social premium. And that real important emphasis on producer voice and empowerment to change the game for farmers and growers across the world. And as far as I'm concerned, fair trade remains the best and only independent global sustainability standard that, that does that unique proposition, putting people, price, power and planet at the heart of what it does. And it's why we're so committed to fair trade and everything it stands for. The crisis we're in at the moment, you know, when COVID-19 pandemic hit, the fragility of our global supply chains has just been exacerbated and these vast inequalities exposed even further. And so we really know that investment into producers on the front line of the climate crisis is essential, both to safeguard food security for us all, but to protect our most vulnerable communities for all our futures. So our fair trade commitments that we have at the co-op are vital. These commodities are high risk from poverty, human rights abuses, informal economies, low prices, deforestation, you name it, and and critical risk of devastation through climate change. So the challenges facing farmers are stark, and we all need to do our bit. That's why Co-op has always had a long legacy of going over and above, just sourcing fair trade. But we've 
always supported projects that galvanise international development and also projects that help with adaptation and mitigation against climate change. Because our real ambition is to use our how we do business to strengthen producer communities around the world. So really what's really unique about this partnership is we've been very clear that we need cooperation at the heart of our collective response. We've listened to producers in our global supply chain who have told us that fair trade is the best mechanism for them. And our role in this partnership is to provide producers with the tools, the knowledge, the support to sustain themselves and their communities for the long term you know, security of us all. And, you know, we've moved from a model of um, individual programs to pull our investment into a more strategic program with Fairtrade Africa. And as Kabasi says, that's directed by the producers themselves who are at the heart of the crisis. Um, so in the t- same time as in increasing the impact of our, our financial investment, our aim here is to really achieve a deeper or sustainable impact um, through, through scaling up and pooling this program rather than what we've done in the past around one-off projects and limited cooperatives. So it's a really, really exciting partnership with Fairtrade Africa, really, really, really excited to be a part of it. And it's also why, you know, within our co-op's 10-point climate plan, we've been really, our focus has been to ensure that people and planet are at the heart. We understand that we're experiencing a humanitarian crisis as much as we are an environmental one. And we really feel like this projects like this are going to support farmers for the long term to be part of the solution to the climate crisis. I had somebody speak recently about pioneers in climate change adaptation and mitigation. And it really feels as though, Kubasa, you and, and the people that you're working with are really pioneering those opportunities, solutions, ways of working. And I wanted, therefore, to ask sort of next steps in terms of what are your roles within this partnership? I mean, what, what sort of what does this look like on the ground and day to day? Perhaps before I respond to the question, just to echo what Emily said, that um, producers are, are at the heart of it. And climate change is, is now a humanitarian crisis that affects most of the pro that has affected actually 99% of producers in the, in the global south. And as Fairtrade Africa is um, a producer network that um, works with producers to ensure that um, uh, risks such as climate change are managed and also that producer organizations and their members who are farmers and workers are able to realize a stable income. So the role of, of, of Fairtrade Africa in, in this particular partnership or program is to rally behind the produce organizations and enable environment that allows acquisition of knowledge, skills transfer, and most importantly, be in a position where producers can plan for their own mitigation activities, but also helping in the reporting process because uh, one of the, the difficult things to do now is to quantify what evidence is there that producers are also, as much as climate change has affected their livelihoods, but what is it that, uh, what are the tools they can use to report on climate change such that the little they are doing in their own way with limited resources can be recognized that there's a role they are playing in reducing the effects of climate change. 
So our role is just to help producers be in a position such that we can demystify that climate change issues are actually not producer-induced, but we have other actors within the space that are really contributing to us climate change, but not directly from their production activities in different commodities. The second thing that we do is to help producers also come up with um, what we call attribution to most significant change. How has climate change affected their lives and how are they coping? And most importantly, create an environment where they can also be linked to available resources and and technologies to help in the mitigation and adaptation process. So working with COP in this cooperation and and specifically on the roles is is to guide producers, plan for their own mitigation activities, learn from each other, share insights, and also help in, in, in reporting at the end of the day. Thank you. Thank you, Kubasu. That's really helpful. And and Emily, I mean, from your perspective, I mean, what does what does a sort of day to day role in this partnership look like for you? Thanks, Katie. I, I think day to day, Kubasu's team and Fairtrade Africa are really going to be doing the hard graft in the partnership. But I think what what co-op's role really can can play in this, and what the role we've been playing for some time is is that real call to action for business. So. You know, it's so important that businesses call out the fact that we're in the grip of the climate crisis, take responsibility and act accordingly. As the last IPCC report laid bare, we know climate change is happening. It's been caused by humankind. And there is a narrow window of hope in which we all need to act urgently to align with the 1.5 degree pathway, which was agreed in Paris to avoid uh, catastrophic outcomes for people and planet. We need to dramatically reduce the amount of carbon we're all putting into the atmosphere and to deliver the scale and pace of change that's so clearly required. We need every single person and part of the food supply chain to take action. That's why our partnership with Fairtrade is so critical and why we're so proud of our ambition and our and our partnership with Fairtrade. And this model of cooperation, we believe, is one that's really worth learning from. We recognise that, you know, producers and growers in, in global supply chains deserve a, a better deal. They deserve to have livelihoods that sustain them and empower them and their communities. And I think really around really what's been key to our view in this partnership is, is, is listening to producers. And we regularly engage with producers all over the world and, you know, really try and listen to what we can do as a retailer to take that responsibility and take action and that's why we've been so we've been so active in campaigning for climate justice we can really see that we have a role to play as a you know a pioneering fair trade supporter with a membership of many many millions of people who are so passionate about fair trade We've got a real role to play in raising attention to these important issues and using our voice to help elevate the voices of producers. So last year, we uh, launched our climate justice campaign with Fair Trade, and we have been really calling for the need to work for a fair transition. We've been calling on government to deliver on international climate finance commitments and also on all businesses to step up and invest in climate resilience and a just transition within their supply chains all over the world. And so what we really hope to do through this partnership is to 
illustrate to other businesses the importance of this issue, um, the importance of the communities within our all supply chains to achieving the outcomes we need to see as a global society, and also facilitating that point that that requires listening and cooperation. It's going to be really key to the challenges we face as a society that, that we do that. So really, what we've been trying to talk about is smallholder farmers in the global south are disproportionately affected by climate change, and they can't address it if they're not able to afford their basic human rights, like nutritious diet, their children's education, healthcare, or have the skills and tools to take effective action. That's where partnerships like this can really unlock change on the ground. But that change also needs to be driven by the producers themselves for it to be self-sustaining. And what we've been really trying to shout about is that, you know, given that 45% of UK's food comes from overseas, the role that smallholder farmers play in the food supply chain is really significant. And so those communities need our support and that's for the benefit of us all. So I really feel that co-op's role in this is really to show that opportunity that is available to businesses, but also shine a light on the how. So how we can, the how we approach these issues and how we bring um, other partners along is going to be really, really important. And that's why we're continuing that call to action. And we're also really proud to have signed Fairtrade's climate pledge, the climate business pledge, committing our support for the future. And we'll come on to the how a bit more in in just a moment, actually. And I wondered um, whether, Emily, we could stick with you for a moment and just have a look. I think, you know, sitting in the role that you have and, and across this partnership, I was wondering whether you could shine a light a bit on some of the future trends that you're seeing in your work that perhaps others should be aware of so that, you know, we can really collectively take action. I think there's some interesting trends going on at the moment. Really, from our point of view as a retailer, I thought it'd be worth touching on our recent ethical consumerism report, actually, because given we are experiencing, particularly in, in, the, in the UK, a rise in cost of living, we are actually seeing that from an ethical consumerism point of view, things are continuing to really increase. So the partnership we have to produce an ethical consumerism report, which has tracked total UK ethical expenditure year on year, we've been doing that for the last, last two decades. And in 2020, for the first time, UK consumer ethical spend and savings has broken through the 100 billion barrier. And of that, you're seeing kind of 20 billion being spent on green home options, 12 billion on green travel, and 1.5 billion on plant-based alternatives. And of that, you know, coming back to the, the topics we're talking about today with, with food, is we found that sales of ethical food and drink have topped 14 billion, which represents an annual increase of 12.3%. And of that, fair trade sales were ahead, growing 14% to 1.9 billion. Um, so what we're really seeing is that consumers are interested in playing a part of driving kind of better, better business. Um, and they have a real powerful role to play in that transition to a net zero economy. And I think what's been so interesting over the last few years is the groundswell of activism, particularly from young people around the world, calling for action at the highest levels, both from you know UN, international governments, and also from businesses. 
And what this report is showing is that they're really matching their words with their wallet. So I think there's a real call to action here for governments, businesses, individuals, all to to look at this groundswell of interest from citizens globally about building back better and seeing how we can build a world that is fairer, more equitable and has a just transition at its heart. And, you know, there's a lot of focus on the necessity of moving to net zero, which is absolutely so important. But what we're really talking about is that that can't be done at the expense of people. And really, as a cooperative, people are at the heart of of what we do. You know, we're all about people as a business. And that's why fair trade chimes so so well with our principles and values as a cooperative. And I think we run the risk in industry of focusing just on that climate reduction, but we need to ensure that we are supporting those who don't have the means to support themselves along that pathway, but also ensuring that we are working towards a more um, equitable and fairer society for all. And uh, Kubasu, I wanted to bring you in. I mean, you guys, some fair trade producers have been really visible at some of the big international events. And thinking of COP in Glasgow this year, I certainly um, bumped into a few of your colleagues. What are producers really asking for and from whom and, and why? You know, what do those big events mean to you guys? Producers asking for, for a simple request and they're making a pledge to the world leaders. They want support in mitigating the effects of, of climate change. Producers specifically, they are looking at how can they be supported. And there was a pledge of, of, of $100 billion, billion from, from the world leaders. The support producers asking for, can these funds be released to help in climate change mitigation, adaptation, financing, so that producers in their own way can use these resources in a number of mitigation interventions. We are looking at support to producers if these funds are available. Can they be involved in agroforestry activities? Can they introduce more resilient crops that can withstand effects of climate change? How can they uh, help themselves withstand some of the storms they are currently facing? Currently, we are speaking of for the ANA, a uh, storm in, in the Mozambique and Malawi region that has affected the tea and sugarcane producers. Notwithstanding that if this does not happen, then the world is at risk because these are the same same producers who are growing food to feed the world. The other thing that producers are asking the world leaders is, is honesty in terms of um, net carbon reduction. They want clear targets. They want clear policies on net zero uh, commitments such that as then as we do business um, regulations, then we are also reducing emissions, especially from goods that are coming into countries. And if you are involved in, in, in business practices, then we also encouraging they can embrace ethical sourcing. The other thing that producers are asking for, and which is not really a big thing to, to consider, it's something that can easily be done, is to see how trade, and as Emily mentioned, is there a way that future trade deals can be fair, low carbon productions, 
so that we are cutting on high carbon trade and also trade that help farmers and businesses be able to invest in sustainable practices and at the same time tackling climate crisis because that's very important such that we are discouraging the use of fossil fuel in business practices and that we are looking at um, promoting practices that are not market exploitative and that producers can benefit at the end of the day. Then in terms of also business regulation, they're asking to encourage investments in sustainable supply chains. And thank you very much, COP. COP is already doing this, such that they're paying fair prices for, for their farmers and also they take ownership of environmental issues in the supply chain. And this uh, relates to some of the principles in environment, polluter-based principles, so that if you're the one leading in, in climate change, climate change crisis, if you're a contributor, then you also be a leading contributor towards investing in mitigation and adaptation practices. And of course, they're also asking for a simple thing. How can we, uh, how can these wild leaders lead in carrying out environmental due diligence so that businesses are forced to curb off some of the vices that lead to climate change? And here we are looking at things like deforestation. Is there a role that these wild leaders can influence? So in summary, what the farmers are looking at when they participate in, in, in this international event is can they get the support, genuine support from the world leaders so that they can also come forward and be honest with their pledges and help them mitigate some of these climate change effects. So important. Thank you very much, Kabasu, for sharing that with us. And sticking with you now, I, I said earlier on that we come back to the how, you know, as Emily said earlier, it's so important to understand how to do this. From your experience, what are the farmers that you're working with really feeling, experiencing in terms of the social and environmental impacts of climate change and, and beyond at the moment? Well, it's a crisis. And um, the unfortunate thing that uh, we are living in a world where now COVID has actually compounded the effects of climate crisis. So we are speaking about double hardship for farmers in Africa. And what we are seeing, the real impacts of, of climate change, both socially, economically, and environmentally, is that we are seeing reduced crop yields and, and productivity. And this has a direct impact on food security. And even the ability to grow the food that the world really needs. So if this is not taken into consideration that we need to, to really put in place mechanisms to address climate change effects, then we may not have supply chains in a few years to come. So that's number one. Secondly, what some of the impact that we are seeing is that um, we are seeing extreme weather events. We are, we are seeing devastating floods. Recently, we had severe floods in, in, in one of the coffee-producing countries in Africa, Uganda, just closer to my country, Kenya. Then uh, last week, Malawi and, and, and Mozambique are experiencing the same. And producers are severely affected by this, this flood. Some of them, their households are, are washed away. Some of them, their livelihood uh, sources are completely destroyed. We're also seeing pests and diseases. You must have maybe read or heard international media, the invasion of, of locusts in East Africa. Why is that happening? It's basically because of climate change. And when this happens, the crops are definitely destroyed by, by pests. We're also seeing because of temperature increase, some of the key commodities, tea coffee, 
they really need good temperatures. So we are seeing producers also moving with how the temperatures are changing. Some of them are now growing their coffees and teas on mountains so that they can get the right temperature for their crops. I don't think that's the life that producers need to live. And in the process, causing displacement of some of them. So they are affecting the social fabric within the family setup. And this has also led to increased instances of domestic violence because if there is climate change means crop yield is reducing, somebody, either one of the spouses has to go out and look for food. And maybe if there's no food, there's no peace in the family, then violent results. So it's a whole set of, of impacts that uh, producers are, are, are currently facing. And that's why we really need a business call for action like Emily had said. And, and sticking with you, Kubasi, then in terms of the work that you've been doing through this partnership and, and wider across the sort of fair trade piece, I mean, how can we better work for producers to ensure climate resilience and, and, and better futures for all? So, you know, what can we actually do? Number one is um, climate change is now, uh, I'll call it multi-sectoral issue that needs a collective action to, to work together. But most importantly, and what what evidence has shown us that um, mitigation and adaptation to climate change only happens when you learn from experience and also investment in some of the technologies. So the best approach that we could look at this is where do we support producers learn from their own experiences? How can they decide on their own future? Sitting in, in, in boardrooms and making decisions for producers without enabling them make their own decision, enabling them learn, share insights may not be the best appropriate solution to look at, but let producers make their own decision plan of climate change mitigation and adaptation practice they can do and share insights with each other. The other thing that we're also looking at how we can work better is the role of young people because we see that young people are very passionate about environment, about, about climate change. And these young farmers really show care in how they, they do or how they work around climate change. So can we harness the ability of these young people to learn more about climate change so that in some cases they can teach the older generation uh, on new agricultural techniques and also new ways of, of, of farming so that the older generation adopt practices that are climate-friendly, practices that contribute towards net zero reduction. However, this can only happen with the resources. The other thing that can really make us work better is looking at what is it that can help producers be motivated to invest in climate change and, and mitigation. And this only happens if the price is, is good, because I'll definitely uh, work on a specific practice if I see I'm getting back my return on investment. So as much as we push invest in sustainable technologies, yes, they need to drive and increase productivity, but they also need to see how does this really lead to sustainable income. So if this, if they can see there is a benefit to their livelihood rather, then it means that producers are going to embrace some of these practices and the adoption rates will really be high. No, thank you very much, Kubasu. Emily, bringing you in here too, I mean, I was just wondering whether you could share your perspectives in terms of you know, how this really works on the ground and for you guys as an organization? 
Thanks, Yen. It's it's really challenging to follow Kavasu's words there. And I think hearing his perspective on what Fair Trade Africa are experiencing in terms of the huge impacts facing farmers at the at the moment is really, really humbling. And it echoes what we've heard from producers we've visited or have visited us or we've spoken to during this time. And and I really hear that point around the compounding impacts of COVID in addition to the impacts of the climate crisis. This has been a hugely volatile period. And from our perspective, we've been so mindful of the, you know, the responsibility we have to fair trade producers in our supply chain. Um, it's why we launched our global wellbeing charter uh, when the pandemic hit, providing uh, close to one million's worth of uh, funding to emergency emergency funds, but also resilience work within um, global supply chains. So I think this has been a really tumultuous period, but it also has highlighted the challenges that existed there already in terms of climate change. And it's really, really important that we all are highlighting that impact and making sure that we are shining a light on the needs of those who who require that support in order to uh, mitigate climate change. I think what's really, really important about how we can better work for producers is to recognise that we are all responsible to enable that fair and just transition for people and planet, and that solving the climate crisis cannot come at the expense of those who least afford it. And for for the co-op as a retailer, one of the most significant things we can therefore do is making sure we continue to put fair trade products on our shelves. But in terms of our programmatic work, we've been listening to our partners, Fair Trade, about how we can drive bigger impact in our programs by using our role as a cooperator to provide seed funding and important programs that can bring others on board. So a really great example of this is the Women's School of Leadership in Africa, which we've supported in Cote d'Ivoire since 2017. It's part of our cocoa commitment. 100% of the cocoa that we, we source as a business is sourced on fair trade terms. But in addition, we, we fund the Women's School of Leadership, which provides female and male cocoa farmers in Cote d'Ivoire with leadership business skills training to support them and their livelihoods. And, you know, in providing that, that seed funding, that's allowed fair trade and enabled fair trade to get further funding, which has now secured funding from the French Development Agency. So really what we've, we're thinking about and what's driving our strategy and our evolved, evolved project strategy is this partnership working. You know, that's, cooperation is really core to how we think as a business, given we are a cooperative. But we've been really listening to our partners and our producers on what will be most impactful for them. They've told us that fair trade is the best um, mechanism for them in terms of providing that safety net and safeguarding, providing more value of the products that they sell to them in, in their businesses. And we've also acknowledged the need for cooperation, not competition, when it comes to delivering the transformational shift in how we do business. So I really would say that. Businesses can and must pull all the levers available to them to drive that urgent change we know we need to see. And that's everything from your sourcing practices to the programs that they run and their supply chains to the advocacy that they choose to do. I think 
that call to action is that all businesses need to take that responsibility and to act accordingly because the climate crisis is now and we all need to take and take um, part and play our part in solving it. Emily and uh, Kubasu, we're sort of drawing to the end of this conversation and I was just wondering in terms of what's next for the work you're doing, what should we look out for you doing in 2022 and, and beyond? Kubasu? Looking ahead is um, seeing how best we can bring producers and even workers because the focus at times is only to the farmers. How can we bring them to the front? so that producers can, in really sense, be the one that are really showcasing that climate change is real, the crisis is real in, in 2022 and beyond. Clear actions are needed, honesty is needed, and that action has to be taken to ensure that uh, climate change risks are managed, that producer livelihood is, is, is sustained, and that government and, and world leaders take action. And how are we going to do this? Of course, looking out more for partnerships like the one we have with the COP UK, looking at right-minded partners that we can work with also to ensure that um, climate change programs beneficial to producers are coming through and that we are able, the producers themselves are able to invest in, in, in sustainable programs. The other thing that we're also looking at is how can we... Uh, use disruptive technologies in addressing climate change. And here is the, the role that youth and women can play because um, analysis reveal that the most vulnerable people with regards to climate change are women and youth. So how can they also be supported to be the lead actors to address issues that are related to, to climate change? But most significantly also is raising the farmer's voice through advocacy efforts to ensure that they are heard across the globe and that their position on the table is reserved to address issues of climate change. Um, Emily, bringing you in um, now, I mean, what does 2022 and, and potentially beyond mean for you and the work you're doing? In short, you know, we, we launched our climate 10-point plan last year. We've set out our ambitions to be a net zero business by 2040 and for our operations and the products and services we sell. That's a transformational target, which will have far-reaching impact into how we operate. And it's a robust target assured by the science-based targets initiative. And we've got our blueprint for how we will achieve that target in our climate 10-point plan. And you know, as part of that, we've ensured, as I've said, that people are at the heart of that. We have an ambition within that to invest in producers at the front line of the climate crisis, of which this program um, is a part. So we're really excited that the next three years we'll be supporting this program. And I look forward to seeing the, res the results of the program as, as it um, continues, because um, it is working with 16,000 uh, farmers across tea, coffee and flower supply chains. So it's a really important program and we'll be working closely with Fairtrade Africa on, on how that's rolling out. But I think more widely to that, as I've alluded to previously, we, we've signed Fairtrade's business pledge and we're really proud to stand alongside Fairtrade and other Fairtrade businesses in signing that pledge. It, the values of the Fairtrade movement um, reflect our own cooperative values and principles, so it was an absolute no-brainer for us to sign the pledge. And it's committing us to our continued support for Fairtrade through knowing and showing our climate impact, 
through to promising to continue to speak out, calling for the delivery of emissions reductions and climate finance mitigation adaptation. So really, some of our focus for the next few years will be around continuing that call for action and that climate justice campaigning. We also have been playing a role as a retailer to, to try and highlight the steps all of us can take as individuals, but we are also absolutely shining a light on the fact that governments and businesses need to take bold action to support the world's most vulnerable in adapting and mitigating to climate change. We need that structural and systematic change that will only come with ambitious political leadership. So we'll be continuing to to call for action on climate justice for years to come. And for anybody who's listening to this podcast, I'll put links in the words that sit alongside the audio so that you can see and and find out more about some of those pieces that Emily talked about. So whether the 10-point plan or the Fair Trade Business Pledge, um, et cetera. And, and that leads me to my final question for you guys today. I mean, for anybody who's listening to this podcast, what would be your advice to them? What would be the, the recommendation from what you've learned and what you're doing? Kubasa, I was wondering whether I could turn to you first. What would you say to, to somebody who's listening to this today? First and foremost will be to embrace the fair trade label. And this means when they walk to COP supermarket, let them look out for the label fair trade and, and support producers and, and uh, rather farmers and workers so that they are able to, to sell their products and achieve that, that fair price, fair price that really gives them value for the for the sweat that uh, each and every morning they work up to go to the farms to ensure that these produce are on the shelves. So embracing the, the fair trade mark, uh, products will be key. Number two is um, let them be the ambassadors of climate change. As COP carries out the climate justice campaign, let them be the supporters of this, of, of, of this campaign and also uh, work towards encouraging businesses so that uh, we not only look at sourcing on financial terms, but also see how they can come on board and support and play the good cause that COP UK is playing in Africa through Fair Trade Alliance for Climate Smart uh, Supply Chains to support producers mitigate the effects of, of climate change. Thank you kindly indeed. And Emily, closing words to you, what would be your advice to anybody who's listening to this conversation today? It's really challenging to get me to be succinct at this point, but I think my, my kind of closing points would be that we need everyone to play a role in solving the challenges we face as a society. And in our view, cooperation is going to need to be at the heart of that collective response. Everyone from individual citizens to producers in our global supply chain through to our customers have a lot to play. And there are simple steps all of us can start to take. And I think in this changing world, the vital role that fair trade and cooperation plays for us all in raising the livelihoods of whole communities around the world through the power of just trade has never been more apparent. And that's where, you know, our fair trade commitments have never been more important. But I'd also iterate that there's still more to do. You know, not all producers are fair trade producers. And even those that are may still be facing some of the hardest times, as Kavasi's alluded to, with markets dropping and being disrupted by COVID or other factors and the impact of climate change that, that that's already having on their crops right now these communities are at threat 
fair trade, in our opinion, is the only mechanism that puts workers and growers and producers first, paying producers fairly, giving them a say in their future and strengthening their communities around the world. So if you are a business, I would strongly recommend considering ranging fair trade in your in your stores. But also if it comes to taking action as an individual, making that choice to buy or source fair trade is a really important thing that we can all do. Get curious about what's behind the mark and the impact that it has. There are fantastic ways that you can learn about it through Fairtrade Foundation's website or our website with resources from producers themselves. And I'd really encourage taking the time to listen to them. But I'd also say that we can also take the opportunity to take a stand alongside producers around the world and using our voices to impress on politicians just how important we believe climate justice is and that you know we all have the ability to help build a fairer and equal, more equal world for, the, for our futures. Well, on that, I will draw our conversation to a close. Kubasu and Emily, thank you so much for joining me today and for sharing your insights and wisdom uh, with us. And as I mentioned earlier, for anybody who has been listening, there are lots of links that will sit in the words that are alongside this podcast today. So Emily, Kubasu, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And if you like what you've heard today, please do rate and subscribe to us. I would also love to hear your feedback. So please do drop me a line at any time. I'm Katie at businessfightspoverty.org. Many thanks. Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. 